Chris, I love Serena Williams like as much as anybody as the, I think has been well established, but did you see that she's hinting at like not being at unretiring? What are you doing? Like why? She she did quite early on like after her alleged last match, like someone was like, "Would you ever think about not being retired?" And she was like, "I don't know." And you know, at that point it was hard to say because her last match had literally just happened, so maybe she wasn't in the the frame of mind. She could be a, a Tom Brady situation where, or reverse Tom Brady, I should say, where she might have been thinking about unretiring, but then once she actually is retired, then she changes her mind. But no, no, but I it's just like at this point, for what? Like, as much as I love you, you're not going to win another major. That I, much seems clear. But. Mm, what she said, uh, sorry, I like, I covered her last press conference, so I do have oh, okay. I do have the lowdown here. We brought but in she expert she guest. basically said during her one of her last interviews, basically was that she wished she had sort of gotten started earlier this year because like she felt she was rounding into form as the U.S. Open came around and obviously had a much better result at the U.S. Open than she had at anything previously. So like. Is it totally out of the question that she could pull off like a Tiger type uh, twenty eighteen Masters situation? I, mean, I don't think it's like, impossible to win like what is it six matches in a row when she it, more majors than not she loses in the first round now like and just, sure there was I mean was I such agree a nice ceremony it was a perfect send off for her she won a couple games she didn't go out in the first round like. I just think it would it would just undercut everything that we did so nicely last September. We did <laughs> as a as a tennis community. Yeah, you big you big part of the TCOM. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I posted a tweet, an Instagram story. We talked about it on the podcast. You said, "Can tell me all of that would be for nothing?" <laughs> salute to the hashtag goat. You said, Griffin. I understand that the idea of Serena Williams unretiring would be a Scary thought. <laughs> and speaking of scary thoughts, please go on. It's time for the high floor, low ceiling Halloween special. Ooh. And welcome. High Floor, Low Ceiling, the Scary Sports Podcast you're listening to now. The Halloween Spooktacular <laughs> number of course, two. I did not realize that we had done this last year. What? <laughs> I don't remember. As soon as we record these episodes, I just dump them. I know. I I don't. I live with them. You, well, you listen to the podcast famously. Yeah. You could Which, really be helping our numbers. Yeah, it was like a 20% boost. Okay. <laughs> Not true. I'm having a little fun, it's true. Um, Although, speaking of the numbers, Chris, just before we get into things here, uh, High Floor, Low Ceiling, somewhat recently in the last few episodes, I don't know exactly which one, uh, we passed 1,000 total listens. So, a big wow. thank you to everyone there. That's a big milestone. Thank it's you. Kind of, scary to know that people have listened 1000 times but uh so none you, of them were you so that's special i 
I've definitely downloaded. Are there counting downloads and listens as well? I don't know. The app counts. Are we listens. differentiating? I, I'm sure I've listened to an episode, a time or two. Um, you should. It's a good podcast. I agree. I fully agree. And I'm sure our lovely listeners agree. Shout out to our listeners. So, Griffin, you listened, I believe, to our last year's Halloween special. Do you have any reports or anecdotes to share? Except, unless it's something that we were, are going to talk about today, then just don't mention it. Uh, well, it was a great episode, Chris. I was cracking up. I was listening to it thinking like, wow, I seem so much more like high energy than I remember than I feel like I am now in the recording sessions. Like, I guess that's just because Chris and I were in the studio together. We were just starting out the podcast, but it's like I was listening to it on my walk home from work, like thinking, oh, maybe I'll try and like record the next episode standing up or something to just try and bring more energy back. And then I remembered that I listened to all my podcasts on like 1.8 speed. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's why I seem way more energetic than I feel in the recording. <laughs> Oh, I, I like that a lot. But it was, um, it was a great episode. We talked about um, NFL teams, uh, whether what their horror stories were, like uh, how a bunch of contenders' seasons could go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the second segment, we drafted our Halloween dream teams, like costume, right. decoration, candy. You had a rant off the top about how chocolate is better than candy. So true. It was a great she episode. She nailed it. I liked I liked listening to it. Well, I'm sure next year you will do the same with this episode. Big shoes to fill for <clears throat> the Halloween spect- spooktacular year two. Spooktacular. Spooktacular. It's <laughs> number second one. two. Ooh. Oh. Like sure. Number two. Maybe moving away from... Werewolf. You said Wolfman was the monster that you drafted for your Halloween. Werewolf, you said. Um, absolutely. Love a Wolfman. Griffin, you have here in the our famous patented document that you are looking for uh, a recommendation from me. Yeah, well, I thought not just me, but anyone listening would want a Halloween movie Wreck uh, from our resident movie connoisseur. So, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm looking to have a spooky, scary, but fun weekend. That's my Halloween vibe. Chris, what what should I sit down and peruse? Spooky, scary, but fun. Hmm. I feel like my go-to is always uh, The Fly, of course, a Canadian film. David Cronenberg, uh, his seminal work with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. I feel like that's like, it's... The horror movie that sort of doesn't have any dressing to it almost. Like, it's just scary, but it doesn't have, like, a vibe necessarily. Like, so, like, I'm thinking of, like, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. That's set in Antarctica, so there's a lot of snow around. There's a lot of cold, so maybe it has more of a winter vibe. Of course, Jaws famously uh, takes place on 4th of July weekend, so that has, like, a sort of, sort of summer vibe. But The Fly, I think, is a really... One you could throw on at any time um, and, you know, is very yucky, I will say, but maybe but won't maybe, uh, you know, disturb you beyond that. Um, in terms of more recent releases, uh, I would recommend The Black Phone from this year. Oh, Ethan yes. Hawke. That's one of the horror movies I read the uh, Wikipedia plot summary for. 
<laughs> right, your famous uh your famous method. And then I recently watched uh, Ghost Watch, which is quite an interesting movie. Are you familiar with this, Griffin? Ghost Watch? No, I am not. Mm-hmm. So it was broadcast on the BBC in, I believe, 1992. And the idea of it is it's presented as like a live TV special. And it's hosted by like actual TV presenters and sort of like news people and chat show type of people. And it's presented as if, like, we're doing a live investigation of this, like, allegedly haunted house. But actually, it's, like, a movie that's, like, a horror movie about a ghost. And so it's, like, it's presented as being a documentary, but then some spooky happenings start to happen. And it's a, a very a very interesting vibe uh, that they managed to capture quite successfully, I think. Well, that's one to check out, Chris. You just you mentioned The Fly. I thought I would interest you with my only David Cronenberg experience came during my uh, film class that I took in university in first year. It was the film Shivers. Are you familiar with that early Cronenberg? I have not seen it. I am familiar with it. Uh, I have not seen Shivers. I have not seen The Brood, another... Uh... Early well, I Cronenberg. Would, work I would not is... recommend Shivers personally. Uh, Interesting. I found it very hard to follow. I found it very gross. Um, the horror part, at least. Sure. Uh, yeah, I just. I mean, maybe it's because that class was at eight thirty in the morning, and I would fall asleep every once in a while. I don't think I fell asleep during Shivers, but I remember the plot being very confusing. Um, yeah, I do think. Yeah, you can several skip that of uh, a lot of his early work is very like. Very Canadian feeling is probably the best way I yes. can describe yes. it. I think probably, you know, a lot of people love Scanners. Famously, if you've ever seen the gif of the guy's head exploding, that's from the movie Scanners, uh, which is a David Cronenberg movie. But I feel like Videodrome is really where his he starts to cross over for me. Although, haven't seen The Brood, haven't seen Shivers, I'll have to give them a shot. Well, the whole thing I was saying is that you don't really have to give Shivers a shot. You're fine without Shivers. Well, you know, I've seen, you know, nigh upon probably 10 David Cronenberg movies. I feel like I should complete the set at this point. I guess, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Well, come back. Tell me what you think of Shivers. I will absolutely. I'll do that next year. Okay. (laughs) We'll do a Shivers movie review segment. Uh, Griffin, on to bigger and better things. What we like to talk about on this podcast, the world of sport. Hey, that's a good podcast title. The world of sport. Yeah, that, that's yeah. got to be. Someone must have snagged that. Do you think well, we should change it, our name? Yeah, maybe we could change our name to Disney's Wide World of Sports. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that sort of gets some cross-branding involved in there as well. Yeah, they'd have to pick us up, I think, for the, I guess, like the ESPN podcast, podcast network. Yeah, we could rub elbows with Jalen and Jacoby. Oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but Griffin... To start off with, we wanted to talk about, you know, it is Halloween, it's the season of being scary, and we are going to talk about some sports horror stories that are currently playing out before our very eyes and decide which one is so scary that it should actually be in the freaking movie theater making us spill our popcorn uh, and scream and such. Have you ever been scared in a movie theater so bad that you actually spilled a snack of some kind? Certainly, I've certainly spilled some popcorn. 
but not out of fright. Usually it, I put it down by my feet and then I knock it with my foot. That's the classic. <laughs> not usually scary driven. So, uh, so I don't... you're just clumsy in the movie theater. Absolutely. I wonder when the most scared I've ever been in a movie theater was. Um, off the top of my head, Get Out was a, mm. is, was a very scary one. Um, you know, I've seen some older movies. Oh, I, I guess The Exorcist. I saw The Exorcist in the theater a few years ago, and that was a very scary one. So that's probably it. Yeah, I get that. Well, I, but I, know I haven't seen The Exorcist, but I've heard it's scary. Yeah, I mean, these demons, they're a real problem in our... <laughs> Yeah, well, in our society, luckily we've got good exorcists out there fighting the good fight. It kind of seems like we don't, is the thing. <laughs> they have a real tough time with this exorcism. Oh. oh, they're bad exorcists? You think that's the problem? I guess they're fine. I, Well, compared to the demon, the demon, we, I think we have great demons. We may have good exorcists, <laughs> but we have terrific demons. We need to invest in, like, exorcist training programs, I think. we got to address this at the roots. Absolutely. And Griffin, you know what team could really use an exorcist? Oh, boy. A team with a lot of demons hanging over them from the last few years, the New York Yankees. Yeah, our first candidate here, Chris, for teams living their own horror stories, the New York Yankees. I think this is the moment for the Yankees where, like, something bad has just happened, obviously. They've gotten swept in the <laughs> ALCS. Uh, didn't really look close to the Houston Astros at any point, despite the Astros no longer having Carlos Correa or George Springer. Like, it still seems to be a big gap between those two teams, but now they think they can catch their breath. They, like, think that they've got a minute to sort of regroup and come back again and try and get the killer, except the mm -hmm. killer is rising up behind them with a big knife, and written on the knife is, like, $500 million from the San Francisco Giants to Aaron Judge, and he's about to plunge it into the Yankees' back, because that was the report we got yesterday. Uh, the San Francisco Giants will not be underbid for Aaron Judge. Wow. If he chooses to not be a San Francisco Giant, it will not be because of money. What do you think of wow. the New York Yankees and their horror story, Chris? I mean, I certainly would agree that they are living a horror story. I think, you know, they've sort of been in a horror story for the last, like, 15 years, maybe yeah, 10 years. They, they won in 2009? Yeah, so maybe 10 years. But, you know, they have sort of, I think that, nah, maybe this isn't true, but do you feel like maybe their sort of system doesn't necessarily work in today's day and age that like you can't really well i guess the dodgers are maybe a better example of what the yankees could be doing in terms of sort of like splashing huge amounts of money to acquire a superstar lineup and obviously the dodgers flamed out this year but i think most people would agree that the dodgers are an overall better team than the yankees but then the yeah, best but the Dodgers teams... also developed players like they had Gavin Lux and Walker Buehler and they used to have Cody Bellinger like and uh, Julio Urias like I do agree with what you're saying it seems like what we see more common in baseball now is like young controllable superstars and this Yankees model that has worked since the 30s of spending big on veterans like doesn't really seem to be working anymore. Yeah, especially the, this year's Yankees lineup, which like, and we should be fair that, you know, even though they won 12 fewer games than the Dodgers, they did go further than, in the, than them in the playoffs. 
even though you know they had to face the Guardians rather than a. Well, the Guardians are really good. I feel like the Guardians should have won that series. Yeah, um, yeah I, I was big. I was all in. I'm not sure if you saw on Twitter, Chris. I became a big Cleveland Guardians fan for a few days there. Yeah. Absolutely, land. absolutely. And you know, I guess they have like Oswaldo Cabrera was a nice sort of surprise for them this year. They have their other Oswald, Oswald Peraza, who will hopefully be doing good things. And then, of course, you know, they did home grow Aaron Judge. Right, but even that, like, he didn't make his debut until he was, like, 25. He's already north of 30. It feels like he's barely been in baseball, and now he might leave. He yeah, might. They, they might get Yankees. I, hmm. So how likely, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think it is that he does leave? Because I, I do think that... He does have a weird, or maybe not that weird, respect for the Yankees of it all. Like I, I think I would he... say there's a four in ten chance that he leaves. Okay, that's pretty high. Like I wouldn't. I would expect that he'll stay a Yankee, but between like the Giants and the Dodgers and the Mets, I feel like there's a. I won't be shocked if he gets blown out of the water by some other offer. But why? I guess are the Yankees allowing themselves to be outbid, I guess, is the question. Or is it just a case of he would want to leave because he doesn't think that they're going anywhere? I mean, that doesn't seem like... Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the New York Yankees either have to let him leave or sign him to a contract, which will probably not be a good contract in the end. Like, the guy's already north of 30. He strikes out a ton. Uh, He's coming off the best season of his career or that anyone has had in a while. Like... He's not going to replicate that next year. So it's just like whoever signs Aaron Judge to this contract might get a few good years from him. But in the end, it will be a bad contract. And so either the Yankees have to let him leave for nothing except like the draft pick they would get or they have to sign him to a terrible contract. So they sort of balked themselves into a lose-lose a bit here. Yeah, they did. I mean, by the same token, they did sign Giancarlo Stanton through what his age 37 season and it's i think that you know it is yeah, still the Yankees. he was an all-star this year at the very least was he he was yes wow um, that's crazy it's you know santiago espinal was an all-star this year it's, it's kind of crazy to think about but it's true um yeah i mean they also have a lot of players in their core which are aging which i think is a matter of concern or at least would be you know if i were aaron judge like Anthony Rizzo, who was weirdly like their second best hitter at times, is like 32. John Carlos Stanton, 32. Josh Donaldson was in his age 36 season. You know, a lot of guys over 30 who probably, you know, DJ, I think we already saw it to some extent with DJ LeMahieu. He kind of stopped being a, an everyday player in the same way that he was for them uh, a couple years ago. And so I think that they definitely should be concerned about sort of where their timeline is at. Yeah, so maybe not a horror story quite yet, but maybe like we're walking through, we're getting the sense that something's a bit off and it could all kick off were Aaron Judge to sign with somewhere else. Is that where we're landing on the Yankees horror story? I guess so, because even though you're right that it didn't feel close and that I I did think that the Astros were a much better team and they obviously proved it uh, with that sweep, they were still, you know, they were extremely good for parts of the year. Like, we were yeah, definitely were. talking about them, I'm sure, 
uh, in sort of the middle of the summer as being like an incredible team, which they were at times. Um, I don't really know what the answer is for them. I guess they would certainly need to maybe get a number two pitcher in there. I think that could be a problem for them as well. But, you know, they, they are still a team that if you told me that they were winning the World Series next year, would I be totally shocked? I don't think so. Okay, so Yankees, we're on the edge. We're feeling a little unsettled, but we're not pushing the panic button just yet, Chris. The next team we have that might be living out a horror story on this Halloween is the Denver Broncos, who we have talked about far too much lately. It's it's bad. Our, our <laughs> In terms of with uh, us, I mean. Yeah, I mean, the Denver Broncos are bad, but I think us talking about the Denver Broncos for like what feels like the fifth straight week might be worse. Um, but we're doing teams that are living horror stories. They're clearly the one. I know. They are, what, two and five? That's not ideal, I will say, for a team that sort of came in with playoff aspirations. Um, you know, they lost in overtime a couple of times. They actually lost in overtime in back-to-back weeks uh, to the Colts and the Chargers. So, But that's why they were supposed to bring Russell Wilson in. He's supposed to be the fourth quarter overtime guy. He wins you games, but he doesn't. And they have him under contract, Chris, through 2028. 2028! That's not... Will the NFL even still exist in 2028? (laughs) I hope not. What happens Um, if the NFL dissolves? Do they still have to pay him? I guess so. It's a contract. I imagine they or like bankrupt. I'm sure there are provisions for that, right? Yeah. And he has a cap hit of more than fifty million after is that twenty twenty five. Is that a real contract though, or is it like a fake NFL contract where yeah, it's I mean like, that's always the thing you always see like the contract was restructured to save six million or whatever, but it's like we'll pay you fifty million, but if we decide to we actually have to pay you zero. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I was just going off what it said under cap hit. Uh sure. But I, I feel like either way, he's not. it's not going to be an easy contract to have on your books. It's not going to be one where you're going to be like, he's not really playing well, but at least it doesn't impact us a lot. Like, Right. So $161 million of that is guaranteed. Um, and if they apparently if they cut him after 2025... They could get away with only thirty million in dead cap. So I thought that there was some sort of option there, but I wasn't clear on whether it was an option for him or an option for them. I suppose for that. I mean, this is really a baffling contract. They're. I mean, I guess they do. They are implicitly saying we're not going to be. You know, we're not going to be paying you fifty million dollars when you're forty years old <laughs> to be the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. If they if they believed that that would be the case, then. That's certainly more on them than it is on anyone else, I think. But Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he is bad for sure. <laughs> Their defense is really good. That's a that's a positive that you can take away, maybe. Yeah, but they um, might be trading Bradley Chubb, apparently. One of their best pass rushers. One of the best pass rushers. Sure. Um I love Bradley Chubb, one of the greats. But yeah, I mean they're They've almost exclusively played teams under 500. Like, their two wins are against the Texans, who have one win, I believe, and then the 49ers, who are under 500, and then they have losses to, like, the Seahawks, who are, I think, 500. Uh, 
the Raiders, which was their first win and their only win for a while. Uh, you know, the Colts are obviously uh, questionable at best. It's just, I guess, well, the, their, their last five weeks, Griffin, they do play the Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, Chiefs, and Chargers in their oh last five weeks, and the Ravens before that. Oh my so, god. They might finish with like three or four wins. Yeah, I mean, they've really got to turn it on against the Jaguars this week, I guess. This is, um, like, never, I think, in our wildest dreams did we see this team going this wrong. No, certainly 2-5 and five after this period, I would be very shocked. You know, they, on paper, they seem like a 500 team, right? Well, the offense, I mean, I know they've had some injuries to their running backs, but the offense is supposed to be Russell Wilson with two great wide receivers and a great defense, like... Anyway, are we? Maybe we should put the Denver Broncos in the freezer. What do you think about that? I think we might have to. It's crazy that we've talked about them this many times, but they are a team that just—they always come up when you're talking about like disappointing teams, teams that are surprising in their badness, teams that have like big questions to answer for themselves. So they do weirdly come up a lot. But I think you're right. I think they do need to go in the freezer. Um, it's and no fun talking about good teams. No, absolutely not. But Griffin, there's another team which we much which we must consider. We talked about, you know, the Broncos are disappointing. They've only got two wins. That is two more than another team which has played the same number of games so far in their young season. Not the NFL season, the NHL season, Griffin. The Vancouver Canucks 05 and 2. I mean, this is another team, maybe not as much as the Broncos, but, you know, they did spend on a a veteran, not free agent, but they spent on JT Miller uh, this offseason when it was widely speculated that they might trade him. And now they're terrible. Yeah, it has been nothing short of absolute catastrophe in Vancouver. They're 0-5-2. They've blown multi-goal leads multiple times. Like, I think their first three games of the season or something like that, they were up by more than one goal in all three of them and lost all three. In third periods this season, Chris, they have been outscored 15-2. to two. Yikes. Like, and, you know, a, a huge drubbing at the... <laughs> you can't be that bad. On, on purpose, you can't be that bad, I think is Even what you mean. More, yeah, probably. <laughs> I think I do think it's an accident. I don't think they're trying to to do this to themselves. Um, but yeah, I think they've had the lead in like more than half their games. So I guess like I guess that's a positive to point to. But then it's like you know it could go either way, right? Because it's like well we have leads, so as long as we just keep a lead, then we could win a game. But then it's like. Even if we have a lead, we can't seem to win. So does that strike you more as a a positive or a negative that they have leads but just keep blowing them? I mean, because it's early in the season, I guess you got to say it's a positive. But it's just like when you look at the roster, they have good players. They've got JT yeah. Miller, like we mentioned, and Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and Thatcher Demko's a good goalie. Like this doesn't make any sense that they could be winless through seven games. Like... No, and maybe if they had lost seven in a row in March, we wouldn't really be talking about it as much. It's just because it's the first seven games and they'll be fine. But it's just like it's 
remarkable, and you've got the GM giving, like, alarming interviews about rebuilds and things like that. That was crazy. Did you, like, how much did you hear about that? Because one of the crazy things, crazier things that I heard was that he basically, he admitted, because I think he is really in full-on, like, damage control, like, throw other people under the bus mode. Jim Rutherford, this is. He said in that interview uh, on After Hours on Hockey Night in Canada, a uh, little bit of cross promo, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was basically like, when we came on, we like this new front office or like front office team or staff or whatever. When we came on, we thought Bruce Boudreaux was only signed for one season but then we found out that he was basically like actually signed for two seasons. There was like an option in there, things like that. So it was, they were basically just like, we didn't want him. We were forced to like allow him to play out this contract. Yeah. I remember this being a thing at the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think there was reporting that was like, Oh, they extended him for a season, but really it was, I guess that they were forced to, which I think, but then at the end of last season, you probably would have said, We'll keep him on for another year, right? Yeah, he had a good stint in Vancouver after he came in mid-year. Like, he was well-liked and had done well. So, but yeah, I mean, over under, like, three more games as the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks for Bruce Boudreaux. I think that's the thing. It's just, like, they're racking up so many losses. Because, like like you said, like, seven games in a row, maybe in it. I think seven is probably pushing it for this is, like, a story in any time of the year. But they're racking up losses at such a at such a speedy rate. Like it's not like they're like two and four or whatever. Right. Like they have managed to pick up five losses and two overtime losses in such a short span that your leash for making a decision sort of diminishes rapidly. Because like you know, if you wait seven more games, you could be at ten losses already. Yeah. Well, the next game against is against the Seattle Kraken for the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe. Uh, that would be a good rivalry if they could get that going, Vancouver and Seattle. Definitely. Um, Old so, border battle. Yeah. So that might be the chance right there to get. If you can't beat the Kraken, uh, there might be some real, real problems. They might be my pick for the team living their horror story the most, Chris, right now. It is so bad in Vancouver. you got fans throwing stuff on the ice and the players saying, like, uh, yeah, that sucks. But I think the captain, Bo Horvat, said that it felt like they were never going to win again. He did say that. That's insane. There's some some crazy quotes coming out of Vancouver right now. They do. They have a little homestand. So they have a four game homestand. They uh, after this cracking game, which is, you know, not a not a home game, but it's kind of a it's a bit of a Mariners. I was just going to say it's a Blue Jays in the in Seattle vibe. Right. So, you know, that's that could be positive for them. They can maybe get a win there. And then they have a homestand that's the Penguins, Devils, Ducks, and Predators. So if they could get two wins, is that too much to ask, do you think? And, you know, if you include the, the Kraken, maybe... Yeah, you can beat the Ducks for sure. Definitely. And the Kraken might be their closest thing to, like, a free win. Like, their schedule has not been super easy. They played the Oilers. They played, you know, apparently the Flyers are good. Um you know, the Capitals, the Wild, the Sabres, the Hurricanes, like all playoffish teams, teams that should be in the playoff mix, right? So they haven't really had their chance to to beat up on a mediocre teams. So maybe that's the key is that 
this game against the Kraken is really like the the inflection point for their season. Do you think this will kick? How many games do you think they have to win? Like, let's say if their next ten games, how many does Bruce Boudreaux have to win to save his job? I think if they, hmm, I was I was gonna say three, but then it's like is three and twelve that much better than zero and five or zero and seven? Uh, no. Uh, I I think he's got to win at least four of the next ten games. I think that's right. I think it is four or five because, like, you know, that sounds good. But again, when you've already racked up this many losses, getting five wins in ten games still puts you at five and ten, which is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Disasters out west. And speaking of horror disasters stories, you could in say. the West, Chris, horror stories, yes, that would be something that would make much more sense to say. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, speaking of uh, horror stories out West, Chris, I want to throw a little curveball at you. I think the Utah Jazz are in a horror story right now, to which you would say, what? Griffin, they're winning. I would. Go on, <laughs> say are. a little more of that. What? What? Have you ever seen Grown Ups 2? Yes. In theaters. <laughs> that was the most scared I've ever been in theaters. Uh, hey, great movie. Um, remember when Tim Meadows was like, what? Yeah, that's a big Tim Meadows move, but he's just so good at it. I can't. Everyone's good in it. It's a great movie. I can't, like, I can't ever fault Tim Meadows even for being in Grown Ups 2. Yeah, Maya Rudolph's his wife. It's a funny movie. Very funny. Taylor Lautner's great in it. I he feel is. like we've talked about Grown Ups 2 before. We have. Yes, with Clem on, a, uh, on an episode where I was bad talking adam sandler and you and clem were both pissed at <laughs> i do remember clem being sort of like flabbergasted at the idea that you would hate on adam sandler in this way and i agree but you know i know you don't value my opinion as much as clem's so that's true well i mean do you value my opinion as much as clem's mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that <laughs> anyway yeah you were shocked chris that i would put the jazz on this list but i think that they're winning too much. This is Victor Wenbanyama we're talking about here. This is a mm-hmm. generational prospect, and they're throwing it away. They had the lottery balls. They traded Donovan Mitchell. They traded Rudy Gobert. I don't think they were hiding what they were trying to do. And they're like four and zero. Oh. They're three and one. They're please. three and one. Still horror story. <laughs> Danny Age is probably losing it. What I will say is, you know, we're talking about like, is it already too late for the Canucks? It's not too late for the Utah Jazz. That is I true. think that the Utah Jazz can put together a run, <laughs> the <laughs> likes of which we have never seen in terms of their ability to lose games. Uh, shout out to the Sacramento Kings, currently 0-3. Uh, tough sledding for them. Shout out to the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat, for that matter, currently 1-3. Brooklyn Nets. I think, sure, Absolutely. I think that the standings will probably look dramatically different like three weeks from now. Um, and Utah, they they have the talent is what I will say. <laughs> they have, well, you know, like Laurie Markkinen is Laurie playing Markkinen's quite too well. good. They got to get him out of there. They really might. But that's like Kelly Olynyk is averaging 15 and a half points a game. He's shooting the ball He's shooting 79% from three. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Olynyk. You know, it's a small sample size. There have only been four games. But, like, you know, there are some things that would probably make you think that this might not be sustainable over an 82-game season. Um, You know, 
their roster, I think, is probably a little better than people gave it credit for. Like, people were talking about them being the worst team in the league uh, coming into this year. But, like, they do have some solid players. They, you know, Colin Sexton is not even starting for them. Malik Beasley, I think, has a really quality bench like bench piece. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Walker Kessler. Like, all of these are really, I think, solid pieces. And then... Maybe Mike Conley is an enticing piece for someone at the trade deadline. Maybe Rudy Gay is an enticing piece for someone at the trade deadline. And then once you start making those moves, I think that's when you start to to really get the tank on in earnest. Yeah, I think they need to make some moves fast. And we just saw a rumor yesterday that the Russell Westbrook trade machine might be kicking back up with the Utah Jazz. I think that would be a win-win in that I think he would really bring. Like you said, Chris, they have the talent to yeah, fix this they, problem. I think Russell they Westbrook need to is make maybe a the blockbuster. best player they could get. <laughs> yeah. They need to make a blockbuster tanking move. And speaking of Russell Westbrook, do you want to just move right into uh, to the final team on our list? Let's do it, Chris. They're technically in the freezer, but I mean, let's be real. When we were talking about team horror stories, with all due respect to the Canucks, all due respect to the Broncos, there was no other team that could take the cake for horror stories than the Los Angeles Lakers. Q screams, Q sobs. Uh, what? It's bad. It's really That's, bad. It's quite bad. Have you watched I mean, like, a lot of Los Angeles Lakers basketball this year? I've watched a substantial amount of... I haven't watched the games, but I've seen a lot of footage of the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> it's been Usually making the posted, Yeah, it's been posted on Twitter in like 14 second increments um and it usually involves one player or another pulling up <laughs> like i'm seeing a lot of pull-up jumpers you is say what one I'll player say. or another is there anyone in particular you might be thinking of that you want to throw under the bus honestly if when i'm talking about pull-up jumpers i was thinking about you know i was thinking about russell westbrook obviously his uh aborted two for one the kyle lowry two for one where you you do a two for one and they're like well it's a two for one so the value is good but the first shot you take in the two for one is so terrible that there was no chance that it was ever going in well kyle um, usually makes them i don't think that's true in his prime in his heyday i don't think that's true um that was his shot are you kidding me that's his spot mid-range elbow that's the larry spot i don't think in my you know anecdotal experience there was a lot of him, like I said. I call it the Kyle Lowry two-for-one for a reason. Um, he took some very bad shots in in an effort to facilitate a two-for-one. Um, much like Russell Westbrook did. But then also, you have LeBron James like bombing a 34-footer uh, with 13 seconds left on the shot clock. You had Anthony Davis. It wasn't a pull-up, but like hitting the side of the backboard of three. No team, I think. You know, regardless of what their offensive numbers are, and they do have the worst offense in the NBA, no team takes more like horrible looking shots, oh, like yeah. low light shots than the Los Angeles Lakers, like air balls, things that like clank off the backboard, like contest, super contested mid range shots that have no hope of going in. Nobody takes those shots better than the Lakers. That is the Lakers promise. It's the uh, Kobe Bryant legacy, I guess. Um, <laughs> so true and so savage. But yeah, no, Chris, it has been ugly. I mean, a miss is a miss. Doesn't matter how pretty. 
but yeah, it's been really bad to watch. Like the Dr. thing is, they Seuss. have the second best defense in the NBA, but they're shooting less than twenty one percent from three so far this season. Yeah, they're- and like hypothetically, the second best defense in the NBA plus LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy and playing at a decent level should be more than enough. And if you look at their the numbers, those two guys have been good, especially LeBron. But they are literally the only positive contributors on the team. Like, if you look at the team by box plus minus, Russell Westbrook has a minus seven box plus minus, being meaning that he is roughly worth seven fewer points on average than an than uh than an average uh starting player would be or a league average player would be. Patrick Beverly is about the same with a minus six point seven box plus minus and so they both have positive defensive box plus minuses but they're oh my god so they're negative seven despite having positive numbers on defense yeah well so that their all around numbers are minus four and minus six respectively so they're managing to be like basically 10 they're taking away like 10 points basically from oh. the los angeles lakers just by virtue of being so bad on offense. I just don't understand why a team wants to trade with them. Is it really like, is getting two unprotected first rounders at a point when the GM will probably, because I think an underrated thing that people don't consider is like the GM personally does not care as much about a, a first round pick like seven years from now, because they know that they're, position will already have been cemented by the time that they make this move this is something i've been having a thought about recently what do you think about that idea that like the general manager has no interest in acquiring a 2029 first round pick because by the time 2029 comes around either they will have like probably won a championship because i think that is what you would have to do to survive like 10 years uh in a general manager job or they will have already been fired and so it won't matter It'll be the next guy inheriting this 2029 first rounder. Yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I would, I certainly, I feel like the best way as a GM to make your case to stay is to make good moves for the team. But I mean, seven years from now in the NBA, that pick could literally be anywhere from one to like 42. Like they, they could <laughs> add 12 teams to the NBA. Sure. In, in between now and 2029. So, like, those picks are enticing because there's a very good chance that the Lakers will just be absolutely terrible and an unprotected first-round pick, especially in 2027. Like, that feels like they could be really bad. But yeah. they're also the Los Angeles Lakers, so you never know. Yeah, I I don't know. The, you know, the sort of, like, dirty little secret of the Lakers is that they've only really been good for one year in the last, like, ten years. True. That's true. But And they happen to win a championship, so I guess that's great efficiency for them. But what if the Pelicans get Victor Wenbanyama off of this latest pick? Yes, this is the real uh the real juicy thing to consider. And I think that is just too perfect not to happen. Yeah. The I mean it does sort of seem like he's just Anthony Davis, but with if Anthony Davis has every skill at an eight, Wenbanyama has them at like an eleven. Yes, including injury proneness. Oh. Uh, 
is my <laughs> Chris taking Scoot Henderson first overall if they are an NBA GM. You heard it here first, folks. Now that is horrific. Uh, this has been our sports team horror stories. We're gonna take a break. And we will come back. We're going to lock the Lakers back up in the freezer where they can't scare anybody or hurt anybody. And uh, hopefully, like the end of all horror movie, they won't get out and lead to a sequel. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to High Floor, Low Ceiling on the HFLC Podcast Network. (laughs) And welcome back to High Floor, Low Ceiling. Uh... A, a rousing, a riotous, a raucous uh, discussion about some sports horror stories. But Griffin, we're moving from real life sports horror stories to imaginary, the world of fantasy. Right. If I could because... just interrupt, Chris, I realized that what I was, what I've been Go trying ahead. to say all this time is that this is the second annual Halloween Spooktacular, HFLC Halloween Spooktacular. I was all this time thinking like. HFL, like the Halloween Spectacular 2.0? No, that's not it. Like year <laughs> two? No, that's not quite what I'm trying to say either. Uh, second annual HFLC Halloween Spectacular. Yes. yes. I believe, uh, at, le- at the very least, our holiday special, I believe, is identified as the first annual HFLC holiday special. So that's a great start for us. Um, and, you know, we've, hey, we made it to two for at least one of these. Um, you don't think we'll make it to the holidays? You never know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> They're going to cut our funding. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I guess we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Um, but Wait, Griffin, while well, you, Griffin, are doing some... There was a big announcement this week that you were going to be working with the OUA, producing some content. Oh, yes, yes, that was. They got the press release and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think I teased it on a previous show. But, you did? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be making a twice-weekly, quick little uh, OUA basketball show. We're just going to have an episode previewing every weekend's worth of games and then recapping it. We're going to have a lot of great guests on, writers, players, uh, hopefully some coaches, uh, former players. So yeah, if you like OUA basketball, please uh, keep your eyes glued to those OUA social channels. And the next episode, or the first ever episode, should be coming about coming out early next week. So that's very exciting. We're looking forward to that. That is very exciting, Griffin. Very happy for you. Well, Glad you. we were able to get a little bit of organic uh, promotion in there. Uh, so look out for that. But we will plug that again at the end of the show. But for now, we must talk about, uh, you know, Griffin, two of two of our greatest segments. Uh, they went very high in the HFLC segment draft on our first anniversary show. And it's coming back for Halloween. We are going to write a Halloween sports movie. It's one of our favorites to do. Now, you insisted that we do no preparation for this well as the owner of the hflc screenplays um (laughs) i do think that that you and i chris if i may speak are uh talented improvisers um i you're very quick off the cuff i went to second city improv camp for a couple march breaks and a couple summers was that something you knew about me i think i did maybe it just didn't seem possible based on what I see every week, but that that I would uh, <laughs> that I'm a product of such a prestigious environment as the Second City. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
I'm sorry. I didn't mean, mean it. You, you you first just implied that you're going to quit the podcast. <laughs> and then you're tearing out all of my roots that I've built this personality around. You're um, kind of living in your own horror story right now. I so maybe am. this is, is an this, elaborate... Uh, <laughs> is this what this you've is the done? You've constructed a meta bit terrifying me to what my if- very core. What if you looked around and then suddenly realized you weren't in your actual room where you record high floor of the ceiling and were actually in an escape room that I had put you in? Oh my god. <laughs> I know enough horror movies to know that uh would like my leg be in a bear trap or something. Sure, why not? If, oh you, if that's what you want, then I will put your leg in a bear trap. Vindictive. Absolutely. Uh but Griffin, a sports Halloween So, here's my first question. Are we making a Halloween movie or are we making a horror movie? I uh, think there's I, an important distinction. What is this movie rated is what, yeah. my first question. I mean, I do think that in the, like, as much as I I would sit down and watch a Halloween movie before I watched a horror movie, I think we're writing a sports horror movie. So this is rated R, hypothetically. Yes, and or is it like, or is it like a Happy Death Day situation where it's like PG thirteen and you cut away when the knife goes in? I mean, if I was making a movie, that's I don't think that the the excessive gore really adds anything. Sure, but okay, PG thirteen, you can still get some spooky scenarios. Um, you know, the film Escape Room is a PG thirteen joint, so definitely possible to get some great spooks uh, out of uh, some some less gore. Or fewer gore. So, well, Chris, there's we one thing start? I want to throw to you before we start writing the actual screenplay. Something that I think we avoided in both our sports Christmas movie and our sports rom com, but I think a horror movie might be the right place for a little bit of stunt casting. Do you think we should go after mm. an actual sports figure to be in this horror movie? I love it, Griffin. I, I'm reticent. Hmm. Let's let's try and figure out the the sort of basic mechanics of this, and I think we can figure out uh, our our piece of stunt casting. So what what's the sports connection? I guess is my first question. Is it going to take place at a game in the vein of that Jean Claude Van Damme movie that takes place at a Penguins game? That I did not know about. Uh, I do think that <laughs> seems the like the obvious thing. Maybe like. After a game, something mm. starts going horribly wrong. Maybe like some like crazy Twitter fan, one of the people who always will like harass a player's family in the DMs or something. Mm. Maybe they so take like it a, to the next level after a, a yeah. bad loss. It's a metaphor for sort of the because you know all good horror movies have to have a metaphor. That uh, the film is called Sudden Death, by the way. Of course. That's usually what we do last, but you nailed it right away. Perfect. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, that's the <laughs> that Jean-Claude is the title Van of the Jean Claude. But yeah, they already. The oh. tagline is "Action goes into overtime." Um, although I do think "overtime" would be a good title as well, because what I'm picturing here is like the it's like the players at a sports team is like in the locker room after a game, and then they suddenly realize that so. <laughs> this may be this may be a little offensive what I'm about to say, or maybe a little inflammatory, maybe oh is boy. a better word for it. But I'm imagining like it's a team is on the road 
playing the Utah Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're spot on. I think it's and they're like the and they're Jazz. in the and they're in the visitors' locker room. And then they're suddenly, and then they're like, "Okay, time to leave." Like, I can't wait to get out of Utah. And then it's like, "Chicka chicka chicka," not like a great. Is rap that beat. them opening the trying to open the door? That's them trying to open the door, and so and it's kind of like, have you ever seen the film Green Room, Griffin? I imagine you haven't. Uh, no, I have not. So the film Green Room, uh, the Jeremy Solnier film with Anton Yelchin, R.I.P., uh, and some other great actors, but. That movie is about a band, like a punk band, that goes to this rural area to play a gig, and then they realize that the band or the the venue that they're playing the gig at is like a neo-Nazi, like a skinhead bar. Oh. And they basically like get trapped in this skinhead bar and have to like make their way out. And so I'm basically picturing that, but for <laughs> but it's Utah. <laughs> Well, we, and we, so, there have been incidents with Utah Jazz fans and I think mm-hmm. an owner in the past. Am I, or am I mixing that up with the Golden State Warriors owner in the finals? Uh, I don't recall, but please continue. Well, I'll just start uh, bashing sure. the Utah Jazz ownership group. <laughs> Dwayne Wade, you're on notice. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. How come people never talk about the fact that Dwayne Wade is a... Why Why the Utah Jazz? Do you think that was just the only team? That I think it. I think it was a, just a case of not. It's <laughs> the only team that would sell to him, but <laughs> I think that they were maybe a team that was looking for investment at the time that he was uh, looking to purchase a portion. Where did of he team. get all enough money? It's he's Dwayne like Wade. I guess so, but it's just like he. He seems like a salary and endorsements only guy. Like it's not like he has a production company or anything, does he? Sure, but you know, I don't think he owns that much. Like a hundred right. million dollars could still get you. A substantial a portion of an right. NBA team, like five percent or whatever. I think LeBron should produce this sports horror film, and maybe we'll talk about that when it comes to stunt casting. LeBron um, loves uh, scary movies. You mentioned has- that in our Halloween spectacular last year. He has a tattoo wow. of Freddy, Jason, and Michael. That's another thing we did. We played uh, of these sports trios: who's the Freddy, who's the Jason, and who's the Michael. Mm, that's good. Stolen from uh, with Gorley and Russ. Shout out. Yes, it was. You mentioned that. <laughs> Is it coming back to you now? Our first Halloween spectacular? Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me now. Um, I will say, recently we saw an interaction on Twitter following the release of Halloween Ends, which I plugged on uh, the show, that there was a recent Twitter interaction between LeBron James and Jason Blum. Uh, of Blumhouse? Yep, of Blumhouse. So LeBron Can tweeted Halloween. Can you believe Halloween... I got that? Yes, you're a smart guy. Um Oh, LeBron you. tweeted, Halloween Ends was so good. At Jamie Lee Curtis, you're such a legend and badass. Hashtag Michael Myers, knife emoji, drop of blood emoji. Hashtag Michael Myers is interesting. He's so old. <laughs> he really is. LeBron uses Twitter like a very old man. And then Jason Blum quote, quote tweeted it and said, this put a smile on my face. Thank you, King James. And then LeBron replied with a, a classic LeBron tweet. Jason, you guys always kill it, man. When I see Blumhouse come across the screen, the <laughs> wife and I both know it's on and popping. Four spooked out emojis, three raffle emojis, tilted sideways, crying laughing emojis. He loves emojis. He is the king of Twitter and not just the king of the court. So I'm thinking this is a Blumhouse, and I always forget what LeBron James's production company is called because 
there's famously there's we've Braun. talked about this before. There's Braun, which that's is not, not Le- <laughs> that's not LeBron, which is crazy. Um, but it'll be a co-production, I think, between Blumhouse and LeBron's uh, Spring Hill Entertainment. Of course, is the name of that. Right. Um, yes. So we've got and, a loose premise here. Yes. So it's it's Green Room. Other people might know that movie. But it's it's green room at a basketball arena with a group of like crazed Utah. Maybe maybe we should shift it and say it's not they're not Utah Jazz fans. They are just sort of like crazy or you know just a group of people, a nebulous group of people <laughs> with no clear affiliations to any particular uh, style. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Um, some, some unsavory types, or maybe, you know, maybe they're trying to, mm, I was going to say maybe they're trying to like perpetrate a crime in the arena and this is just sort of collateral, but that seems like a different kind of movie. Yeah, that seems like an action movie. Yeah. So, so they are trying to, uh. It's a person, it's an individual who has maybe taken leave of their senses. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe has no specific team affiliation. Like that's something we see more and more in the NBA. Players like players instead of teams. So maybe it's a a super okay. fan of a fictional player, and maybe this team right traded their player, or someone on this team injured their player. Like right, I like that. It yes. Yeah, so it's as if you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe it is like a like a Russell Westbrook situation where they're a, a Russell Westbrook super fan. And the Pat Beverly, there's, oh man, maybe that's it. Maybe Patrick Beverly has to be in this movie. He's our stunt cast. Yeah. And he's not like the main character, but he is like the guy who like provokes the killer by like mouthing off to them. Uh, I like that. Yeah. He's not the, he he gets them into the situation. Yeah. I think think he would be down for that. Yeah. I think, yeah. A Pat Bev type, possibly played by Pat Bev. Uh, has in some way, obviously not, you know, justifiably, but has provoked this situation right. uh, into occurring. Maybe he got in like a bit of a pushing match with the killer's favorite player. It resulted in like a big team shoving match. Killer saw that. He was like, they're coming for my guy. I got to kill this entire team. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. It is sort of weird to be talking about. <laughs> Killing an entire sports team, but it is a it's a movie. It's a movie. It's, it's fiction. We are not endorsing the murder of any athletes. No, absolutely not. Um, um, so I guess now we need a method, Griffin. Some so like how is this just a, a classic? You know, a slasher. Is this guy sort of sneaking around, just plunging the knife? Because I imagine you know the door is locked, and maybe there's like some gas starts seeping in and they have maybe like, cause I feel like with a basketball team, there's 14, 15 guys. You got to cut half right away. So I'm thinking some gas starts filtering in and like seven people make it out. Oh my God. That's a dark start. I feel bad for the bench guys. Um, (laughs) It doesn't have to be all stars. Um, but I'm thinking, like, you know, they, like, crawl through a vent or they, like, find a secret doorway or yeah, something. Yeah, I think that we've got to find some way to get them out into, like, the bowels of the stadium. Yeah, that's like that's the tunnels. real. Once at, at Game 7 of the Leafs and Lightning, Chris, I was, I took a long time to finish writing my article. I had to write two articles that night. 
and I was the last person in that stadium. Like I was up Ooh. in the press box looking down and every seat was empty. There was no one else on the press box. There were like still staff there, obviously, but that right. was a very creepy feeling. So that's sort yeah, of I think, I think something that we can incorporate. Yeah, I think the the ending should take place on the court. Of, yes. And maybe they kill the killer by dunking on him. So Absol- hard. Absolutely. That uh, ball I like, think, splats his head. Well, I feel like the ending has to be like he is decapitated and his head flies through the hoop. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> You've nailed it. You've nailed it. <laughs> Okay, so is this this? I guess he's setting traps. I guess is the I think the way so. Yeah, it, right? a, a, a rack of uh, like big heavy weights lamb? falls on a guy. Oh. <laughs> a rack of lamb falls on a guy. <laughs> well, they have great catering. Um, maybe one guy. If it's like a dual purpose arena, maybe we get like a little switch up. We get some hockey skates in there. Some guy gets mm. sliced up. Or like, ooh, you know, it'd be scary. Is like. Because you know how there's, we know some teams they like just lay they lay the basketball floor over the ice. Yeah. What if like oh. someone gets trapped like between the ice and the basketball floor? Ooh. I think that's scary. And they get crushed. Yeah, that would that would be scary. Okay, that's a good one. We need. I think you need the type of thing where they someone's gone missing for a while and then they see them like from behind. They're like, hey, there he is, and they run up, and he's dead and he's been like propped up somehow. So I don't know. Sure. Like maybe maybe with like maybe they stick. make it to like the home team <laughs> hockey stick. We're really getting into hockey now. Um, yeah, and maybe well, it's hockey, hockey has team. better killing yeah equipment than basketball does. But are we taking a little too much from uh, sudden death? I think that's a worry that we have to think about. Yeah, so not a hockey stick. Then maybe he's propped up. Maybe he's leaning with like one hand up on the backboard, like Dwight Howard style. And that's sure, like Armin support. Vince Carter, arm in the hoop. Yeah, and they're like, oh, he's out there practicing his dunking. He's fine. <laughs> and then it turns out that he's dunking, like, his own head or something. Yeah, well, we don't want to take away from right. the, uh, the ending. But, hmm, I don't know, because I do like that, dunking your own head. Maybe that's how, maybe one of the teammates decapitates the killer and it flies off, and then another player dunks his <laughs> his head. Absolutely. Um, they really just they cope with their trauma in interesting ways. <laughs> yeah, they really everyone processes differently, Griffin. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we've got it mostly. So we have like so there's like the team captain, the star player. He is he the one that lives till the end, or is it like the bench player in the same way that like in in a typical horror movie scenario, like the virgin or the sort of more unobtrusive character would be the one who survives to the end. So are we going that route or is it like the star is the star we're gonna see them for the whole movie be a star i mean i do think that if we are going to stunt cast that might need to at least for and then maybe like let's say for example it's lebron and pat bev everyone expects pat it's like the two of them left everyone knows that pat bev's gonna die maybe it's a twist maybe lebron dies instead of pat bev so yeah Mm, okay i like that okay so, and then everyone else is just actors, or because I feel like you can't have too many actors. No, yeah, ev- everyone else is actors. Um, okay, but yeah, here's the thing: Do we have anyone secretly working with the killer? Maybe a GM who's trying to tank. <laughs> There's a super prospect, Wenbanyama style. I do think that that could be something you could include. The sort of idea that it's like, well, like the ownership, they don't really care, or like so maybe it's just that, like the 
you know, Utah jazz. <laughs> I love that we've hit upon the Utah jazz as the, the evil organization here. Um, but like that the jazz owner is somehow complicit in this because it's like, there's some insurance payout or something mm. for him or like it's, it helps them somehow. It helps them get into the playoffs or something. Yeah, no, um, I don't think, like, they help plan it, but I think they hear about it and, like, sabotage rescue efforts. Right, they let it happen, sort of. Because we've got um, the fans snapping, I don't think, like, the... I mean, that would be a big twist, though, if the owner, like, hired the fan to snap. But I do think that, like, that would be a good way to make it more of a sports movie, because every sports movie has, like, the owner who's trying to sabotage mm-hmm. the team. Mm-hmm, and they're always trying to save money. Yeah. Um. So I think that's it. I feel like, Griffin, I feel like we've got it. I feel like the only thing left is the title. Right. Uh, One thing I also do like is that like horror movies always have to have crazy how the hell did this happen again sequels. And I think we are very mm-hmm. well set up for a how the hell did this happen again <laughs> sequel. I think they really would have beefed up security at arenas following this, exactly, this night yeah. where several... Do you think several, we have to uh, like, spend any time on the next day where it's like how the hell does the world react? a good question no i think it is just a classic like pat bev's got a he's got a blanket wrapped around his shoulders but how about uh griffin we can add what's our twist and not a twist ending but i feel like there's always that moment in a horror movie where it's like but maybe the horror isn't over right what if it's just like a twitter notification sound (laughs) that's good or or it's like he reads a t- he like gets a DM from someone and it's like he thinks it's the killer, but it's actually like no, this is just like the the crazy fan will always exist, and that's yeah, sort of the, the yeah, what's scary like, about it is that like he wasn't unique; he was just the one who happened to like push it to this extent. Right. Yeah, maybe someone who says like, "I can't believe you faked all this." Like I'm gonna, <laughs> or just like yeah, someone like. Yeah, something like they're still out there just because yeah. one of them snapped. Like, these fans are bad. I, I yeah, like just, that we're doing it against those bad fans who, like, harass people. Yeah. It's horror with a statement. But yes, Chris, our title. It's elevated. Um, So I, I do, I feel like overtime is cheating a little because Sudden Death's tagline is action goes into overtime. Yeah. Um, they really, they really beat us to that punch. Absolutely. So what are some... I'm just going to Google basketball terms and see if uh, anything strikes us there. Because... Spree, <laughs> spree in the key. That's that's <laughs> off the top of my head. I don't think that's our last one, but I wanted to come up with one before you inevitably crack it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, um, death in the paint. Death in the paint. Um, at the At the broken elbow. What if that was the killer's thing? He only just broke everyone's elbow. He didn't actually kill anyone. What about a shattered backboard? Okay. <laughs> That's a little, the, it's Shaq a little wordy. Killer? It's a little wordy. But I like thing. the imagery. He's our killer, Shaquille O'Neal, but like Daniel Craig in Star Wars style, where like we ne- he never actually takes the mask off. We never actually see his face, but you can clearly tell that it's Shaq because <laughs> no one in the world looks like Shaq. Uh, maybe. <laughs> or is it unrealistic that someone Shaq's size would be a... I feel like our fan is like a sniveling, like, Twitter yeah. basement guy. Yeah, like, he doesn't actually do any of, like, the killing. He just sets these traps in a jigsaw type, uh... Right. What about, what about clear path? 
that feels like it has some kind Clear of path. Uh, yeah. connotations. Fear path. Oh, Griffin, I think I've got it. Okay. Dagger. Oh, you've done it again, Chris. Uh, I got the Christmas title. You got the rom-com title. And you have broken the tie with the perfect title to our sports horror movie. Um, Shaq, if you're out there, I think you and Chuck have got to die in this movie. You guys will be doing your TNT panel. There's no chance you're making it think, out of this alive. I think there could be some comedy as well, because it is a, a kind of inherently comedic premise, I think. So there can be some humor in it as well. Um, Maybe Charles kills Shaq independently of everything else, and then just sure. like, gets away with it. because everyone Right, and that could be a bit of a red herring. Yeah. But it's like, oh, Shaq died, but it's like, no. Shaq was actually killed by Chuck. <laughs> Separately, Chuck um, saw his opportunity and took it. Absolutely. Ernie so saw it, but out. said nothing. <laughs> wow. Uh, be on the lookout for our film, Dagger, starring LeBron James and Patrick Beverly, about a basketball team that gets trapped in the arena by a, a fan who has, as Griffin said, and I really liked it, taken leave of his senses uh, and has set these traps throughout the arena and will end with the killer being decapitated and dunked. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Chris, in a true Halloween spooktacular fashion, we've given the people a bit of a big episode today, uh, but mm-hmm. hey, what are the holidays for? It's not called tacular for nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't throw around the tacular. <laughs> absolutely. But I think that will have to do it for today, Griffin. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, HFLC podcast on Twitter. HFLC podcasts are our social channels. Uh, you can follow Griffin at Griffin Porter ninety seven. You can follow me at C House and Jane on Twitter. Listen to Got the Runs. Listen to Bevy of Bevies. Listen to Griffin. Uh, the OUA basketball show. That's watch what it's called. Even yeah. Oh, watch it. Yeah, there'll be a video show. We've got wow. graphics. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I meant that. No, I, <laughs> I get why you would think that I would think that you didn't. But I know that when the, the chips are really down, you mean it. That's very kind of you. Um, but I think that will have to do it for today, Griffin. And so until next time, I wish everyone a spooky Halloween. Ooh. And much like uh much like the guy trapped underneath the floor of the basketball <laughs> arena between the, the basketball, the hardwood and the ice, keep your floors high and your ceilings low. Oh, no. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>